For millennia, we have used natural tools to indicate the lines of energy running just below our feet, uncovering everything from fragments of lost civilizations to abundant energy pockets. The unknown and undiscovered is often as close as our own backyard. The science of dowsing is one of the oldest, most intriguing, and most practical approaches to energetic navigation. Today we have the opportunity to speak with professional dowser and geomancer Graham Gardner. My name is Catherine Sky Nod. I'm a holistic journalist, columnist, and broadcaster. I'm also the host of Nature, Therapy, and Beyond. Each week we travel the globe looking for new ways to connect with our natural world chatting with experts and enthusiasts on a variety of topics pertaining to holistic health and natural living. Breaking through a heavy cloud cover, we're touching down near a shaded glen in Glasgow, Scotland, meeting with Graham Gardner, author, international presenter, and the host of the widely acclaimed UK podcast, Adventures in Dowsing. A prominent member and past president of the British Society of Dowsers, Graham specializes in geopathic stress and the electromagnetic survey work of land and properties, a field of study now popularly known as building biology. Graham has spent a lifetime tracking the lines of Earth energy, improving quality of life for landowners, animals, and for everyday health. For him, dowsing holds a special magnetism. myself dowsing actually as a teenager you know I read a few books on it back in the 1980s this was you know went and got a couple of coat hangers and made some L rods from them and went out and taught myself I could find water but it wasn't really until I met some people from the BSD the, the British Society but I realized that I was actually better at it than I thought I was and that's what really got me into earth energy work. So you actually took a pair of coat hangers and bent them in half in an L shape and that's what you're using to douse. Yeah which I'm sure is most people's first um, L rods. Water has a very strong energy signature, so it's kind of the first thing you learn is how to find water, even if you're doing earth energy work, because, you know, water is the main carrier of the energies. I started out with a pendulum. That was great if you have sort of like yes or no questions or you want to get used to feeling the pull of it traveling through the pendulum and through to the earth. But when it comes to actually being outside and searching for something, it was a bit tricky. Then someone introduced me to L-Rods. That made things a whole lot easier. The pendulum is a lot better if you're doing more sort of standard divination, if you like. But it is a little tedious trying to find things in the field with the pendulum. <laughs> Not as precise as the rods crossing. X marks the spot. You can use the rods for questions as well, of course. But the pendulum is the main tool for that. My favorite tool is the thing I use most of the time. It's actually called a camera and aura meter, which is a really sensitive, um, does-everything kind of tool. You can use it as a pendulum, as a, an L-rod, as a bobber. You know, it folds up and goes in your pocket. It's just a really versatile tool. It was designed for measuring the human aura originally. It's really sensitive with energy fields and following the edges of things like, you know, water lines, energy lines. Initially with a pendulum, I had been using it because I do Reiki. I was using it over top of someone's body. If I had a sense of what was going on in their energy field, I'd bring out the pendulum and sort of confirm it. So it sounds a little bit like the device you're referring to. Yeah, it's not so convenient if you're dowsing over somebody who's lying down. It's certainly good if they're standing up for dowsing up the back or the front to find any uh, imperfections, any holes in the aura. It's, it's great for that sort of thing. Do you know many people who use various tools like the pendulum and others to navigate health and wellness, energetically speaking? 
Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, it's, that's one of the main branches of dowsing is uh, dowsing for health and healing. I mean, I think dowsing works best when it's applied to your own particular strength, your own particular discipline. So, you know, I'm more interested in earth energies. So I tend to focus more on that. Well, a lot of people do use it for um, health dowsing. You tend to be more focused on dowsing off um, charts and lists and things when dowsing photographs. You know, it gets applied with Reiki um, kinesiology. I mean, that's a form of dowsing. Any sort of homeopathic, fluorescences, that sort of thing. In terms of Earth influence, you do a lot of work with geomancy, but for anyone who doesn't know, how would you define what geomancy is? Yeah, it comes from the Greek. Geo means earth, and mancy is divination, so it's literally divination of the earth. Uh, It's an art of analyzing the subtle energy flows in the earth to find places where we can live in balance with the earth energies. You know, there are sort of detrimental spots where it's not good for us to be living on, so we want to find places that have a balanced energy for building our houses. The short definition is like Western feng shui. So particular placements for a particular outcome. Yeah. So I kind of look at geomancy as applied dowsing because you know, dowsing is just one part of what you're doing, really. Dowsing is a sort of analytical tool. There's a whole lot of other stuff involved in geomancy. You mentioned churches, perhaps sacred sites, or even if someone's looking to build a new house and they might want to know what sort of environment they're building on top of you could use geomancy to discover if this is really an ideal spot for you. Yeah, geomancy in a construction like that, we're interested in trying to find the best balance of energies for what the purpose of the the property is. For example, if you want to build a church or a temple, we dose for the best conjunction of earth energies that will enhance the energy in the space. We might look at the geometry of the building. We can get into the whole geometry of Gothic cathedrals, for example, which all incorporate sacred geometry. This is designed to enhance the energies within the space. And we'd also try and connect it with what you might call upper world energy by linking into maybe a significant sunrise alignment at a particular time of year. You know, that kind of thing. This is where it's geomancy and not just dowsing. I know from texts that I've read, certain megaliths and a collection of stones are constructed, perhaps to capture the first lights of a solstice, to direct it to the back of the rocks. That would be a form of very early geomancy. Yeah, that's the kind of thing we're interested in. You know, the classic one is the uh, the avenue and the, the hailstone at Stonehenge being aligned to the midsummer sunrise, or the passage at uh, Newgrange in Ireland being aligned to the winter solstice sunrise. So we try and build in some astronomical connection like that. So, for example, if you're building a labyrinth or a stone circle for a client, it might be nice to have it aligned to a significant event like the sunrise or sunset on their birthday, for instance. Oh, that's really nice. People look for their horoscope based on what month or day they were born. You can even have an entire temple constructed to you, personally designed. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Most uh, churches, uh, well, a lot of churches are aligned to the sunrise on the feast day of the particular saint that the building is dedicated to. So, yes, carrying on that tradition. And that sort of communal or um, societal construction, if you were looking to build a home, what sort of Earth factors make for a positive influence in your environment. We'd be more interested in the earth energies under the house. In very basic terms, we look at the yin and the yang, the female and the male. For example, water flows in the earth are like the yin of the earth energy scene, and the yang is the energy flows, like what we call leys, popularly known as ley lines. 
So that's sort of two sides of the coin. So we look for a balance of that. For example, a water line under a bed, water being a, a very yin energy, is very draining. So if you're sleeping in that over a long period of time, then you tend to find that your immune system becomes compromised and any sort of ailments that you have get exacerbated over time. For example, if you have an energy lay, on the other hand, that's a, a yang energy, which is very invigorating. So that might be good to have in your place of work under your office desk. But again, you wouldn't want it under your bed because you'd have trouble getting to sleep. So in terms of sleeping and maybe fortifying the immune system, you want something that doesn't drain you and something that doesn't over-excite you while you're trying to sleep. Yeah, well, in terms of sleeping, you want a neutral space with neither of those. Yeah, uh, in, in sacred spaces like churches and stone circles or uh, geomantically constructed labyrinths, uh, labyrinths are a favourite space for Taoists and geomancers, we find the confluence of the two. You get water lines and energy lines. And when you get a nexus of those, you have the yin and the yang combined. Yeah, that makes a very energetic spot. So it's a good place to, to build these sacred sites. Once you've constructed your home and maybe you've discovered that you might be symptomatic of something, it's sort of difficult to pick up your house and rotate it perpendicularly, you know, to get you off of whatever the problem is. Is there any way to sort of neutralize any influence that may be counterproductive? I mean, that's uh, the sort of secular side of the art. And, you know, a, a good dowser or a geomancer can manipulate or move the, the detrimental energies out of the house so that they're not affecting the client. Would they do that by infusing sort of an energetic pattern in the area, or would they bring in stones, or how would they do that? All of that. I mean, you know, people work in different methods. The traditional means is some form of earth acupuncture, usually inserting a metal rod into the line. For example, a steel rod and a water line will sort of neutralize that energy there. Uh, you might want to put a standing stone if it's an energy line. There's various uh, methods you can use. If it's a city centre apartment, we, we may have to rely more on kind of imprinting a, an energy pattern with our intention or use some sort of technological device. You've done wonderful podcasts, Adventures in Dowsing, which is how I even found out about you to begin with. Um, I was listening to them and I thought, this guy is amazing. I remember one of your podcasts, someone had flooding on their property and this man had come in and put stones very much like Terran acupuncture and it had caused the swampiness of the flooding in their yard to dissipate or redirect. It had solved the problem and these poor people were now cleared of this issue. Uh, yeah, lots of housing uh, stories about people who have done that. My closest I've come to that was a client I had who built uh, an extension for a swimming pool, and uh, the ground was slightly sloping. Although the pool had not been filled, completely sealed, but they were having some water coming out at the side of the pool from an underground water stream. Uh, it got so bad that uh, they had to put a, a pump in at the bottom of the hill to just remove all this excess water. The architect who was working on this had called me and uh, asked if I could locate the, the source of the stream and do something about it. So so I went and I sat. I actually took my shoes off and put my feet into this sump of water just to attune to the water. My pendulum, I just um, attuned to it and got a particular energetic signature from it that I could then go and look for. And I went out in the back garden and I traced a couple of streams until I found the one that had the same energy signature. And then I sat down and I asked it if it would move. And the, uh, the normal way that you do this is to put a, a steel bar, like a crowbar, in beside the stream and then tap it in the direction you want to move. 
and then you doze how long it's going to take. So uh, I dozed it was going to be two or three days before it had moved. I told this to the architect, who of, who of course was looking increasingly sceptical by this point, <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> and uh, I went away. Uh, so then I phoned him up a couple of days later and said, well, how, how's it doing? Has it moved? And he says, oh no, well, after you went, we just dug a trench and put some drainage in. <laughs> uh, so at least I found the offending stream, but I didn't actually get to see if it had moved. <laughs> When you mentioned setting the intention, I've done some dowsing and I was out with a friend and he actually uses a metal detector. So he likes to look for copper and zinc and he's very interested in the mineral content of soil. So that's why he uses the metal detector. I had mentioned to him that I seem to get just inundated with all of this subtle body information about what's going on around me. And it's not necessarily what I'm asking about. He said whenever he does any dowsing, he tries to almost copy the way that the metal detector works. He says when you set it to look for zinc, that's what it looks for. And he said you're just thinking too much. What is your approach when you're mentally working with earth energy? You have to focus on exactly what you're looking for. And that's the whole essence of dowsing, really. Um, you know, you see people walking across a field with their L-rods going in all directions uh, <laughs> because they haven't actually focused on what it is they're trying to find. Mental focus is critical. That's really the whole art of being a good dowser. Okay, so it's almost a meditative function. Yeah, totally. It totally is. You have to be in a particular mental state uh, in order to do it, you know. There's a particular state of mind... Um, Tests have been done on this using a mind mirror, showing that dowsers' brains are active across all frequencies when they're in what we call the dowsing zone. This particular state of mind where you have a sort of attitude of in childlike innocence almost. You, know, you don't really care what the answer is, you just know that you need to find whatever it is you're looking for. It takes practice. This is what learning dowsing is all about, really. And also, you know, learning to trust the first answer you get. It's like the old trick when you're throwing a coin, heads or tails, and you don't like the first answer, and you do best out of three. <laughs> well, you know, why were you asking the question in the first place if you didn't like the answer? You know? <laughs> My mother is part of a heritage community center, and they're trying to find unmarked graves. She got really excited, and she got the L-rods out. She and I, on Thanksgiving, went out to the graveyard, and we proceeded to try and find all of the unmarked graves in this burial location. Mm -hmm. And I was getting all sorts of things. The way they had buried people, it was somebody, and then maybe three feet up, somebody else was buried in the very same spot. Or it had people buried on the side of the hill, you know, where it seems ridiculous that there'd be somebody there. But we went back and checked the schematics, so it was very possible that that person could have been buried in the side of the hill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There is uh, quite a lot of people, particularly in America, who specialize in grave dowsing. It's like anything else, but, you know, you need to specialize in what you're good at, really. Well, and also old foundations, that's a big thing as well. There's And there's nothing that remains at all of the structure. You can really discover all sorts of interesting things about your community, or even in the woods, you'll find these amazing stone structures, and there's just no reason why they would be there, but it looks like a chimney, or it looks like a, maybe an early basement or something like that. It's a fascinating tool. There's a lot of people who do archaeological dowsing. I mean, there's tons of stuff in Britain that you can douse for. There's been a few successes uh, in that field, although um, you know a lot of archaeologists, now that they've got all the high-tech geophysical equipment, uh, tend to be rather sceptical of dowsing. But uh, in the old days, you know, dowsing was one of the main tools in archaeology. 
Well, in my community, I believe that they still rely on a dowser to come in before a lot of them dig their wells. Even the the town actually has a dowser on retainer that they will occasionally send out into the um, the midst of nowhere to try and decide if there's going to be a viable well source there. Sure, and lots of stories of um, people who haven't called a dowser in and haven't found water. Then they get a dowser after the well's been drilled, and the dowser finds it you know within a, a few meters of the original spot. It does pay to have a dowser. <laughs> Saves you a lot of money. Do you ever douse for the quality of the water, the mineral content? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you have to know if it's drinkable, what the flow rate is going to be, how deep it is, whether it's going to be flowing all year round. A whole litany of questions you can go through. I mean, if you're specialising as a water dowser, you develop all this other knowledge, like what the geology is like, what to tell the driller for what drill bit he has to use to get through particular geologies. A bunch of other information you have to learn. Uh, Speaking specifically of cellular and Wi-Fi access, Wi-Fi, according to some recent studies, breaks down communication on the cellular level in our body, and that can, of course, lead to a weakening immune system or susceptibility to pathogens. What has been your experience with the energy of of Wi-Fi in general? Uh, Well, I'm electrically sensitive myself. My day job over uh, the last 30 or so years has been as an electrician working in theatre. So I've been exposed to EMFs for most of my working life. I noticed when I started researching the stuff for Wi-Fi, I was on tour with a show in Dublin. I had three nights I was spending in a bed and breakfast, and I didn't sleep a wink in the entire three nights. And, you know, it was a very quiet room. Um, It was a nice, comfortable bed. There was no noise, so I couldn't understand what was going on. And then when I was checking out, I noticed that the reception desk had their Wi-Fi router on the ceiling just right underneath my bed. So that's what really got me researching. I am now electrically sensitive. You know, it's one of the things I have to check. And what sort of symptoms does someone display if they are electrosensitive? Well, it's very similar to geopathic stress. You know, typical first symptoms are not sleeping very well, depression, anxiety, that sort of thing. You can tell when it's a room with Wi-Fi because I find when I'm trying to get to sleep, my brain gets stuck thinking about some trivial thing that's happened during the day. And it's like a stuck record. It just keeps going round in a loop. But you get an earworm with a piece of music. That's a symptom to me that it's a Wi-Fi issue. I work in a hospital, so there are any number of energies circulating in that respect. I also work very near telecommunications, phones and Wi-Fi, and I find that you get headaches and uh, dizziness as well, stomach aches. Yep, um, tinnitus, that's a, that's a problem. I mean, you know, we're getting more and more of these things. Wi-Fi is, I think, probably the worst thing in the home. Cordless phones are very similar. I mean, because the Wi-Fi and the cordless phones, you know, they're pumping out. These microwaves have their own problems, but, you know, Wi-Fi uses the same frequency bands as, as the kitchen microwave. It's because it's a pulse digital signal. This is the problem, and it's going all the time. As well as these uh, physical effects, you know, as a sort of psychological effect, it kind of entrains your brain waves which is why you end up like not being able to sleep. You know, the physical effects, it does, as you say, you know, it, it breaks down the, the cellular barriers um, over a period of time, breaks down the blood-brain barrier. The cells can't relax and they can't release their toxins as they normally do when you're sleeping, when your immune system is recharging. So, you know, toxins build up in, in the cells and in your body. And this is why we're all getting sick these days. It's almost as though the built-in antidote is to go outside, and you mentioned what a meditative training experience dowsing is, and that would be wonderful as a way to calm the central nervous system and clear our minds. 
it is the first thing I check with a client. I'm like, what the Wi-Fi and the cordless phones, what the microwave radiation picture is like in the house. And then I can advise them how to get rid of it. Switch off your Wi-Fi, use Ethernet cables, get rid of your cordless phone, get a landline phone. You know, all my apartment is uh, wired with Ethernet. Um, and speaking of switching off and on the Wi-Fi, I grew up in an off-the-grid home. We had a landline for a telephone, the television that ran exclusively on batteries. They had a generator. They used solar power. Now they do have satellite cable, but what they've done with their internet is it's a satellite internet because, of course, they can't receive cables. They don't have power lines to their home or anything. And what they've done is they've routed the internet through a power bar so they can turn the internet off and on. Uh, it's a good thing to do. I mean, satellite is not such a problem, to be honest, because it's a, it's a very tight beam coming out of the dish and it's not really radiating through the house as much. It's the Wi-Fi within the house that is the problem. So, you know, there's various ways you can, you can eliminate the Wi-Fi. I'm just thinking um, of my parents. They're now in their 60s and 70s, and of course they've lived for the past 50 years in a home that's off the grid. And their doctors will remark about how unusually healthy they are. Well, oh, bad. yeah. Well, good for them. I'd like to move in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all suffering from uh, this technopathic stress now. More and more people are getting sick with it. I wanted to ask you about fault lines, because I know people will talk about ley lines and then they'll talk about fault lines, but we're not talking about the same thing, because of course the fault lines are actually a geographical crack in the ground. Yeah, well fault lines, um, again, have their own particular energetic signature, but normally you find that they will have water in them. You know, you're looking for the water signature to find a fault line. I'm going to check my pendulum to see which it is. There's various different ways they manifest, you know, like a, a water line for me tends to come across as about uh, one meter wide. You know, a fault line might be slightly narrow than that. So, you know, you learn to distinguish these things as you get more experience about it. Usually there is a slight increase in the background magnetic field with a fault line, but with a water line you tend to get a decrease in the magnetic field, if you had instruments to measure that sort of thing. But, you know, some research has been done over the years to show there are variations in not only the magnetic field, but also the background radiation. Found a very slight increase or decrease in the Earth's radiation of these, these spots. So you must occasionally work with energetic echoes. You're maybe in a home or you might even be outside, but it's sort of as though there's seems like there's two energies imprinted on top of each other. I know the last time that we corresponded for an interview, you had mentioned ghosts. I'm just wondering in what context you were referring to ghosts. Uh, yeah, you mentioned different energetic imprints. I mean, you certainly find that. One of the differences I noticed between Britain and, say, the, the States or Canada is that there's so many more layers of stuff here in Britain uh, that you have to get through depending on what you're looking for. If you're going back in time, you know, I can go through like medieval stuff, Roman stuff, and, and so on, back to Neolithic stuff, you know, any one of which can have an energetic trauma in that layer that may be causing you problems today. Whereas in North America, it's, you've got like uh, the last hundred years, and then you're into Native American stuff. Very easy to tune right into the problem there. Right, so you're saying more layers in your location. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, but ghost spirit uh, trauma, psycho-spiritual stuff is a whole other layer that you have to deal with when you're clearing houses, when you're bringing healing to a space. Because again, over time, depending how old it is, what's been going on there, you can get these energetic remnants, is the term that houses use kind of linger on and still affect the atmosphere even many years later. And that can be like most hauntings that you get, uh, you know, the, the classical grey lady in the castle kind of haunting are usually just that sort of imprint. It's, it's just kind of like a recording that, that replays on certain occasions, uh, like when somebody's sensitive or maybe it's an anniversary or something like that. You know, but you do also get uh, human spirits, people who have not moved on for whatever reason, um, and they do have to be moved on. 
release, but a release is, is another service that we have to do. You know, it's a compassionate service to, to help these people move on to where they need to go. That is something that you do, clear homes and facilitate moving on for any remnants that might still be present. Yeah, the, the ghost busting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is an honorable feat, actually. So what do you do? You come into somebody's home, they've requested that there's some sort of activity that they would like to dissipate. What have been your experiences with that? Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on what I'm doing, I'm not that clairvoyant myself. Uh-huh. Um, so I have to kind of rely on my dowsing. But often I will just I will get a sensation or a feeling that there is a spirit presence more so than actually seeing anything. So, you know, you have to tune in with your dowsing and it's, it's kind of a shamanic act, really. Dowsing zone is it's not like a mediumistic trance, but you're still grounded in the real world, as it were. But you have to get into a kind of between-the-world space where you usually working with your own spirit guide so you're on a spirit team, you ask and help the spirit to, to move on. You know, it's, it's kind of a whole procedure. There's a whole protocol involved in doing it. So do you have an approach where you, I hate to use the phrase protect yourself because it sounds so dramatic, but do you try to encourage a certain frequency of positive energy about yourself so that you don't pick up anything? Yeah, 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 there's, absolutely. Um, there's a whole dowsing protocol um, that we go through to, to make sure that I, not only am I uh, protected, but also I'm clear of any detrimental stuff before I start. It just helps you get into that state of mind, the, the dowsing zone, so that you can work positively and from a place of compassion and healing. And then at the end, you know, you have to close down and bring yourself back into normal waking reality. In Episode 7 of our look at Earth Energies, Graham shares his experiences using dowsing to improve our relationship with our environment. He has worked with landowners, analyzing the layout and locations of gardens, the sensitivity of plants and vegetables to geopathic stress, also the interesting behaviors of animals that have been exposed to long-term geopathic tensions. This and more as we follow the lines of the Earth's currents. See you then. You're listening to Nature, Therapy, and Beyond with Catherine Skynot. Appreciation to my guest, dowser and geomancer Graham Gardner. Gratitude to Blue Dot Sessions, www.sessions.blue, for our instrumentals. And to you, thank you for listening.